For the last several weeks, we've been looking through the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, and we're continuing our study this morning. And this morning, uh, I really want to focus on one singular point that the scripture, that the, the prophet here in God, through the word of God, is trying to make. And, and this point that God's going to show us this morning, it's not a very popular point. It's not something that we enjoy hearing. It goes against everything that we are taught from our culture. But understanding this point is one of the foundational truths that we need to understand so that we can have joy in our life. Now, I did not say happiness. Happiness and joy are two totally different things. What we learn from Scripture, everything in the Bible, the things that we like, the things we don't like. You know, we all love the Psalms. We cling to the Psalms. Uh, you know, we read through sometimes Leviticus, and it doesn't make any sense to us. Sometimes we read uh, some Old Testament Scripture that kind of pricks our heart because God's really pointing his finger at us and saying, hey, here's, here's what's wrong with you and here's what you need to change. But everything in Scripture, the good things, the things we enjoy, the things we don't like, the things that hurt, everything is there for us to to have joy. Now, happiness is fleeting. Happiness can vanish in a second. And we all know that. You can wake up tomorrow morning and you can go to work and you can start going through your day and everything can be going great and you're having a wonderful day. Uh, you, you feel good. You're happy. Everything's going great. And then one second, everything can, can change and your happiness is gone. Maybe your, your boss calls you in and lets you know, hey, we're having a downsize and we're going to have to let you go. Maybe your doctor calls and says, hey, the, the test results came back and they're, they're not what we were hoping for. Maybe you, you lose a loved one or you have an accident or, or something can happen to take your happiness from you. God doesn't promise us a life of happiness. He promises us a life of joy. Jesus said he came that our joy may be full. So we've all, we've all experienced these times, but the joy that God has for us cannot be taken away. If you have true joy in God, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what battles you may face, no matter what trials or tribulations you may go through, your happiness may be gone, but your joy shall always be there. We can mourn, we can hurt, but if our foundation is strong, our joy will not be affected. So to catch us up in the, in the book of Habakkuk, our lesson so far, I'm not going to go deep into it like I have in weeks past. If you're interested, you can go online or podcast or SoundCloud and listen to the last three messages on Habakkuk. But in Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk, of course, is one of the minor prophets in Judah. He's uh, prophesying during the divided kingdom stage. And in his life, Judah is very heavily into idolatry. There's wickedness throughout the land. And Habakkuk and many like him, they, they are desiring a revival. They want the nation to turn back to God. They want the people to turn back to God. They want God's blessing restored to them. So for years, they pray to God and ask God to send revival, to turn the nation back to him. And then God answers their prayer in the form of Josiah, the eight-year-old king who, while he's cleaning up the temple and restoring the temple of God, he, they find the word of God, they bring it to Josiah, and he reads it, and the high priest reads it, and they are heartbroken 
because they realized that them as a nation have strayed far from what God wanted. So Josiah and the high priest, they call the nation for, to revival, to repentance. And it's a, it's a nationwide revival. If you read the story, they literally just stand in the temple and just read the word of God audibly and people hear and they're heartbroken and revival breaks out. People are tearing down the temples to the false gods. They're getting rid of the, the Baal worshipers and the, the false priests and they're, the entire nation, every person, every sector turns back to God. And put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes. You are, you are seeing with your own eyes the answer to the prayer that you have begged God for. You have begged for revival. And here it is. The nation's turning back to God. People are getting rid of sin. They're getting rid of idol worship. They're getting rid of the wickedness. And Habakkuk is just, just praising God for how good he is. But then Josiah dies. And his son takes over. And his son is a wicked king who destroys everything his father did. He allows false worship to take place in the temple. He allows the false idols to come back. He, he builds temples to these false gods throughout the nation. And so Habakkuk is looking at what's happening to his nation once again. And he's kind of angry. He's confused. He's upset. He doesn't understand why God would do this. And so he cries out to God, God, what are you doing? Why would, why would you let your people go back this way? Why would you let your people be wicked again? Why would you allow this to happen, God? And he's, he's kind of accusing God, saying, God, why are you idle? Why aren't you doing anything? And then God answers Habakkuk, and we saw that last week. God comes to Habakkuk and says, oh, Habakkuk, I'm not idle. I'm doing something. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm sending the Chaldeans, a wicked, violent, terrible nation, to come through and conquer Judah and send judgment to everyone in the land. Now, that's where we left off last week, where Habakkuk says, God, why aren't you doing something? And God says, oh, I'm, I'm doing something, Habakkuk. But it's not the answer Habakkuk wanted. So look in your Bibles in Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse number 12 this morning. The Bible says, art thou not from everlasting? This is Habakkuk answering. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment. And, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art purer than the eyes to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he. So here's Habakkuk is trying to kind of, he, he's backpedaling here. He's trying to fix his earlier complaint because his earlier complaint was, God, you're not doing anything. And God says, oh, I'm about to do something. Habakkuk says, well, maybe don't do that. Maybe, maybe do something else. Maybe, maybe I was a little hasty in what I said here, God. You're, you're holy and you're righteous and you're pure and I don't want to make you mad, God. So he's trying to fix his earlier complaint. He's already complaining, God, you're not doing anything. And God answered him and reminded him that God always judges sin and he's going to judge the entire nation. Now Habakkuk's saying, whoa, 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 God, that, that's not what I wanted. I wanted you to deal with them, not me. And hey, aren't we all like that? 
Lord, take care of those people, but leave me alone. My, my sin's not as bad as their sin, so you take care of them, but Lord, you know, kind of let the Chaldeans deal with them, but don't, don't, don't punish me as much as you would. He goes, they're more wicked than we are. You are pure. You are holy. So that means there's no way you can judge us. Because, hey, we cried for revival. I've been crying for revival for years, and I'm just asking you to do what you did before. So, look, take care of them, but don't take care of me. Look at what he continues in verse 14. He says, and makest men as the fishes of the sea, and as the creeping things that has no ruler... Uh, over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their drag. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice under their net and burn incense under their drag because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nation? Now, now he, he kind of goes back to accusing God. And his, his accusation this time is, God, you are using unrighteous people to judge the wickedness of the nation. You, you can't use sin to judge sin. That's what Habakkuk's saying. He said, hey, God, two wrongs don't make a right. And so you can't use a wicked, vile nation to judge a wicked, vile nation because he goes, by doing this, you are allowing the Chaldeans, the wicked people, to glorify themselves or to, to, to celebrate their own strength and their own glory. He could say, the Chaldeans, all they're going to do is sacrifice to false gods and praise false gods for what you're doing. So God, you can't do that. You, you can't use them to judge us because then you won't get to praise their false gods will. And then look what Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch and see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So God, Habakkuk cries out to God, God, do something. God answers him, says, Habakkuk, I'm doing something. Habakkuk cries out to God and says, well, don't do that. That's, that's not the right way to fix, says God. So here's what he says in chapter one, in chapter 2, verse 1. He goes, God obviously doesn't know what he's doing. He obviously has the wrong idea. So I'm going to make God explain to me what he's doing. If he doesn't tell me what I want to hear, I'm going to make him do it my way. Here's, here's what he's saying. And look, we're like, oh, man, I can't believe he said that. We say it in our own hearts. Here's what Habakkuk's saying. God, I can do this better than you. I can fix this. Because obviously you can't. And we've all been there. When I was studying this week, I thought, man, I, I couldn't believe that this was in Scripture because, one, that means Habakkuk said it to God and God didn't kill him. But also, God put it in Scripture for us to read today and say, how can he have the guts to talk to God this way? He's not talking to his boss or, or his neighbor or anybody. He's talking to the creator of the universe saying, you don't know what you're doing, so I'm going to take care of it myself. But we do it all the time. We may not audibly say it. I don't think any of us would have the courage to go to our prayer closet and say, God, you're wrong, I'm right, let me take care of this. But we live our lives in such a way that that's exactly what we're doing. We are telling God, I know better than you. 
step aside and let me handle this. And that's what Habakkuk's dealing with here. There are times when we're lost in what God's doing, where things are happening that don't make any sense, and so we may not verbally rebuke God, but in our heart and in our life, we do the exact same thing Habakkuk did. Habakkuk didn't like what God was doing, so he tells God he's wrong. He demands an explanation for his actions and then says, I'll just take care of it myself. Now, Habakkuk teaches us some some very vital lessons. First thing Habakkuk teaches us is it is okay for us to cry out to God. It is okay for us to come to God and say, God, I don't understand what you're doing. As a matter of fact, God, I don't like what you're doing. God, what you're doing is confusing to me and it's hurting me and I don't like it and I wish you would stop. It's okay to cry out to God, but when we cry out to God, we need to understand our position with God. You know, me and April... We have a different relationship than I have with our children, than I have with Parker. You know, me and April, when we, when we argue, which is not often, right? When me and April argue or disagree with her, it's not me coming to her as her master, trying to lord over her, saying, this is how it's going to be. Sarah called Abraham Lord. You're going to call me Lord and listen to what I say. I've tried that. It doesn't work. So that's not our relationship. We're a partnership. So we, we have discussions. We have a dialogue. Now, it may be a robust discussion, but it's still a discussion. She can disagree with me. I can disagree with her. And we can, we can discuss things out, try to figure how things out work. And so whenever I try to tell her it's gonna be, this is how it's going to be, I lose. So I never take that position to her. We are partners We make things together. We are one. Now, Parker, Connor, and Lexi and I, we don't have that relationship. I tell them what to do. They can disagree with it. They can not like it. They can complain about it, but they're going to do it. Because if they don't, it's going to get real bad. And not for me. For them. Why? Because there's different positions there. Me and April have a position of, of partners, of equals. Me and my kids, I'm the authority. So it's okay for me to go to God and say, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. And it, it, I just wish you would stop as long as I understand. But God, whatever you want to do is okay because you're the authority and I'm not. So Lord, I may not like what you're doing, but I trust what you're doing. I respect what you're doing, and I will allow you to do whatever you are. Now, it's hard for us. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to be bothered. It's okay to question God, but you have to remember your position in the relationship. And that's hard for us because mankind loves man. We love to celebrate how great we are. We think as a species... We are awesome. Look, there's a YouTube channel called People Are Awesome. And it just highlights how people do these incredible things and, you know, like backflips or jump a car over the Grand Canyon without dying and just all this awesome stuff. Like, man, people are awesome. And we think with enough strength, with enough, uh, with enough brain power, with enough technology, we can do anything. We think our potential is limitless. 
The fact is, though, we're limited. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how pretty you are. Your ability is limited. But man loves to exalt man. We live in a time where we're told, man, you, you can do anything. You can overcome anything. You can achieve your dream. So when, when pain comes, when problems come, when difficulty comes, we think I can handle this on my own. I don't need God. He's just going to do it wrong anyway so I can take care of this myself. Now, the lesson Habakkuk is going to show us today is this. No, you can't. You can't fix everything, and none of us can. So as we continue to look through Habakkuk, let's, uh, let's unpack this truth. Here's the, the lesson we're going to look at today. Number one, and only one, you are limited. We have a very high opinion of ourselves as a species. We think we can accomplish anything, but we can't because we're limited. First of all, we're limited in our success. You know, mankind has a unique ability to make things worse by trying to make them better. And look, the examples are all throughout our world. Look at the Internet. The Internet was, was marketed and created as a way to make our lives easier, to make information more readily available, to make things faster. And, and look, it really has. Because most of us, if the next, last time you went to a movie, you probably didn't call the movie theater to find out when the movie started. You know what you did? You went on Fandango. You found the movie. You found the theater. You bought the ticket. And in a lot of cases, you could even pick your seat without ever having to leave your bedroom. That's pretty easy. And look, let's be honest. Sometimes you can just watch the movie without having to leave your bedroom. On your phone or your tablet. Or your so, take, yes, it's made life easier. Here's another thing. We, none of us... Well, most of us, there are some older generation people here. Most of us have probably never used a map. How many of y'all have never, ever used a map? We got a couple, younger folks, never used a map. You ever tried to fold one of them things? They're, they're terrible. You know what we do now? We don't use maps. We don't use atlases. Look, we don't even, look, I grew up, I didn't use maps, but I used mapquest.com where you could print out. We don't even use that anymore. You know what I do? I get in my car and say, hey, Siri, take me here. And all I do is listen to her instructions. Turn left here, rerouting, because I usually miss the turn. It has technology, the internet has made our life so much faster. So I mean, we, have, we have access to more information now than we ever have. I have access to thousands of books and blogs and articles that can help me to learn and encourage me and strengthen me and bless me. But there's a dark side to the internet. You can get some great information. You can get some incredible, you can get, get devotions and you can get instructions and you can learn how to become a, a world-class chef or you can get access to the most vile, perverted things imaginable. Pornography has, has increased to such an staggering number since the implementation of the internet. Used to be a time if you wanted pornography, you had to go to kind of a shady store and hope no one saw you coming out. And you have to sneak it home. 
and hide it under your bed or in your closet. I hope your mom or your spouse or your husband or wife didn't find it. And you, you could do it, but it, it took effort. Now, if you want to look at pornography, you can do it in your office. You can do it in your home. You can do it in your car. You can even do it in church if you wanted to. Why? Because it's so readily available. Studies have shown that as access to internet pornography has increased, so has the amount of sexual abuse and assault. Why? Because we took something that was supposed to be good and helpful and bless us, and we perverted it. We've brought access to the most vile things, the most wicked things, right into our home, and we've made it culturally acceptable. It's okay, because everybody does it. And look, the numbers are staggering. Over, I, I read a recent article, it says over 75% of, of men and 60% of women, this isn't just a man issue, 60% of women regularly view internet pornography. And I'm talking about Christian men and women, because it's, it's okay. Why? Because no one knows. We can keep it to ourselves, so we think we're okay with it. But not just with, with internet. I mean, things that we've created that were meant for good and are actually help us are actually hurting us. Think of antibiotics. Antibiotics were created to destroy viruses that were making us sick. So we made antibiotics, we started taking them, and you know what happened? The viruses got stronger. They became antibiotic resistant. So what do we do? Made stronger antibiotics. What did the bacteria do? Became stronger. And so on and on it goes. They get stronger, we make stronger by antibiotics, until eventually we are going to create the zombie virus that none of us can get rid of, and we're going to eat each other. Why? Because we created something to help us, but we ruined it. Our successes are limited. God is not limited in this way. See, whenever we, we try to fix a problem, we see a problem, we try to fix it, but we make the problem worse. God, when he sees a problem and he fixes a problem, he fixes it for all of eternity. It is perfect. Now, we may not like what he does to fix it, but it's perfect and it's in his will. Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good. To them who love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. Habakkuk had that verse too in Genesis where, jo where Joseph said, Were you meant for evil, God meant for good. So Habakkuk knew, God, what you're allowing, the Chaldeans coming in to destroy Judah and to judge the nation, it is good because it's in your will, but I don't like it, so I'm going to do something better. See, we need to understand the job loss, the sickness, all these things we deal with that we don't like, they're God working in our life to fix a problem. What's the problem? The problem is we don't look like his son. Because continue reading, he goes, he's ordained all of us to be conformed to the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. Well, I stop at 8, 28. But 29 says, hey, I'm working all these things for your good, and your good is to look like my son. So that means I'm going to have to get some things out of your life that are going to hurt. It's going to be painful, but the purpose is to make you more like Jesus. When God sees a problem, we may not like how he does it, but when he fixes it, he fixes it perfectly and in his will. We are limited in our success. Secondly, we're limited in our time. All of us live with the understanding that one day 
we're going to die. I don't think I shocked anyone there. I don't think anyone's going, are you serious? Yes. If the Lord doesn't come back, every single one of us, we are going to die. The Bible tells us that over and over in Psalms 39. It says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is nothing before thee. So David says, hey, you've made, you know what a handbreadth is? It's just, he goes, you've made my life like a, a breath, and before you it's nothing. David says, in the, in the expanse of eternity, my life is, 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 is nothing. It's, it's a fleck. It means it it's, it's has no time whatsoever. He says in Psalms 103, 15, he goes, As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. He says, look, my life is like a flower that blooms up in the morning, but by the afternoon it's gone and dead because it, the sun scorched it. It looked beautiful for a while, but doesn't last. That's what our life is like. We are limited in our time on this earth. Now, look, every one of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. But on earth, our time is limited. God is not limited by time. We have an issue with what God is doing. We need to remember that we have limited time and he is eternal. See, God works today to put things in motion that may have use next week, next year, next decade, next century. He may be doing something in your life today that the full effect of it won't be seen for another 10 years. But we don't like because our time's limited. We can't think that far ahead. But God sees all of eternity. Psalms 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever that has formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. When we don't know what God's doing, when we don't understand what God is doing, we don't like what God is doing, we need to remember our position and remember He is eternal and we are temporal. We're limited by our success, we're limited by our time. And thirdly, we are limited in our vision. Habakkuk didn't like what God was doing because his vision was limited, he didn't see the big picture. He didn't continue reading through the Old Testament like we can to see God was using the Chaldeans to bring the nation back to him and restore Israel to prepare the way for the Messiah. He didn't see that. Now, we can see it because we got the rest of the book. But he couldn't see that. His vision was limited. We see the same situation in the book of Job. Now, like Job, like Habakkuk, he had some issues with what God was doing. And look, I'll be honest with you. Between Job and Habakkuk, Job had a reason to complain. Habakkuk didn't. Habakkuk's going to God going, hey, I don't like the fact that my nation's pretty wicked. Job's going to God going, hey, I don't like the fact that I was living my life, loving you, serving you, fearing you, and you, you killed all my kids, took all my wealth, and made me sick. If anyone has a complaint, Job's got a complaint, right? And so Job goes to God finally and says, God, you know what? I don't like this. You, you had a dare with Satan, and this is the result of it. I don't think that's very fair. Now, for some reason, God is very gentle with Habakkuk. He's very merciful to him. He's not that way with Job. In Job, he's a little more blunt. So look in Job chapter 38. <coughs> Job chapter 38, verse number 1. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? That's a, that's a polite way of saying, who's this idiot questioning me? 
That's what God's saying here. He says, gird up now thy loins like a man. For I will demand of thee an answer. He goes, look, you better, you, you want to step up to me like a man? We're going to have a man-to-man talk, Job. It's going to get bad for you. Before, wherefore hast thou said when I laid, wherefore, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures of the fountains, whereupon the fountains thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars stand together, and all the sons of God shut up for joy, or who shut up the sea with the doors when it break forth as it had issued from, the, from out of the womb? So on and on and on, God goes to Job saying, Hey, Job, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I hung the stars? Hey, Job, how many goats are eating right now? How many bears are hunting and what are they eating? Hey, Job, what's in the deepest, darkest part of the ocean? Do you know that, Job? Because you're so smart, so you tell me. And on and on, God goes with it. It gets to the point where in the middle of the chapter, Job finally goes, okay, God, I'm sorry. I will shut up and never say a thing again. But God says, no, no, no. You wanted this conversation. Let's have this conversation. And for four chapters, God just berates Job, saying, who are you to question me? Who are you? You have no idea. You questioned what I was doing, and you thought you could do better, so tell me. So what God is telling us through Habakkuk and through Job is we don't see everything that's going on, but God does. You don't know what's happening at your house right now. But God does. We don't know what's going on in downtown Roanoke right now. But God does. He's telling us, you don't see the whole picture. What I'm doing now that you don't like, it's for your good later. It's for maybe someone to hear the gospel. Maybe someone to to get right with God. You may not like it. You may not appreciate it. You may not understand it. But we are to trust that God knows what he is doing. So here's the point in all of this. You cannot fix you. You can't fix your own problems. You can't fix the world. Only God can. You're limited. He is not. Look, I don't want to minimize your hurt. I don't want to minimize your pain. I don't want to minimize your anger. I don't want to minimize your fear, and neither does God, because they are real, they are legitimate, and we need to deal with them. But when you realize that you are limited, when you realize you can't fix this, that only God can, it brings joy. Because it releases you from the bondage of self-help. It releases you from the bondage of self-promotion and it allows you to trust in something greater than yourself. Whatever is happening in your life this morning, whatever is happening in your relationships, whatever is happening in your marriages, whatever is happening in your addictions, whatever is causing turmoil in your soul, you are not the answer to the problem. You cannot fix it, you need God. And realizing that brings freedom, brings joy, and brings peace. Every one of us here, we need God. Maybe you're here this morning, you need God for salvation. Look, every one of us were born condemned to hell 
with no way out. And just like your problems, you can't fix that. For all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, no matter how many good deeds you do, how much money you give away, no matter what you do, you cannot fix the fact that you are a sinner. You need God. And God came in the form of Jesus, lived the perfect life, and died on the cross to pay for your sins because you couldn't. Rose three days later to redeem you with God the Father because you couldn't. And it invites every one of us to accept him as our, as, a, as our Savior so we can have a relationship with God because you can't do it on your own. You need God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like me. You know you have a home in heaven. You know you're saved. You need God too. You need God to have a good marriage, to fix your problems, to live righteously, to deal with the pain that this life brings. We need God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.